But we're continuing on in Titus, you guys. We went through the first four verses last time we met, and now we're going to go from verse 5 to verse 16, chapter 1 of Titus. And the title is Be Wise. Be Wise. Because here's the thing. Present challenges help us to be ready for future challenges. Like everything we go through, right, we should see as a training ground for what's to come in the future. Because we know that God doesn't waste anything. Right? God doesn't waste anything that we go through. Like He uses what we have faced to prepare us for what we're going to face. Right? God doesn't waste our past, even when it's a sordid past with a lot of hurt, pain, and challenges. God doesn't waste anything. The Lord uses our troubles and trials to refine us and to minister to others going through the same things. And you probably have done this already. Like, oh man, I went through that years ago. Let me pray for you. I know exactly what you're feeling, what you're facing. Let's pray. And looking back, I really see God has used a lot of my past as a training ground. And I think about John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist, man, we only think about him, okay, in the Jordan, right? Preaching repentance to the people, right? Uh, rebuking the Pharisees, the religious leaders. That was about six months that he was there in the Jordan. Like, in a sense, like his whole life leading up to that point, those 33 decades, right? 30 years led up to that point, that six-month period at the Jordan where he just was used by God radically. Was he used by God before that? Yes, probably. But really, his whole life was almost like a training ground to this moment, right? Where he can let people know about the good news. God prepares, prepared Moses for 80 years to lead the people out of slavery into freedom. 40 years as a ruler of Egypt. 40 years as a shepherd in the desert. <laughs> and, and I'm sure God used your past to teach you valuable lessons that help you to this day. Right? And my family just back, uh, got back from Las Cruces, New Mexico, where I, I was blessed to teach about prayer for a week to the young adults there. There were like 10 students and, and six interns, and it was just, these, these kids were just like on fire. It was amazing to see their drive and their passion to want to serve Jesus and live for what matters. Amazing eight-month like program they go into, and then they, they like reach out. They go to Uganda for two and a half months. They, um, they're just hungry for the word, and there was, it was amazing to minister to those who are just like, what's next, Lord? You know, And it was awesome. But they're being prepared for that eight months to be sent out radically used by God. And it was such a sweet time to be there and teach, but also to hear their hearts of what God is calling them to do. I mean, God prepares us presently for future kingdom furthering. And that's the thing, Titus was facing challenges, and so Paul wanted to give him tools to help him with these challenges. Like, we all need these biblical truths and tools to help with challenges we are going to face outside of these walls. See, Titus was facing challenges, and Paul wanted to help. Paul helped Titus to see how to order things, right, in the local church, and he wanted him to see that leaders were imperative to that order. Right? Remember last week we looked at verse 1 to 4, we saw Paul's greeting to Titus. So now we're going to see, we're going to see the challenge, we're going to see the order, and we're going to see the leaders. So let's pray, and then we'll um, start, uh, continue on in Titus this morning. Well, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for this opportunity to gather together in your name, Lord, to look at your word, that it wouldn't just be words in our mind, but these words, this truth would really like penetrate and get into our heart, Lord, in a deep way, Lord, so that we can live these things out on a day-to-day -day basis, Lord. We love you so much, and we thank you for your word in this time to gather. In Jesus' name, amen. So Titus chapter 1, verse 5. We'll start with that. Paul continues, and he says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. 
So the challenge, the challenge or the charge goes out to Titus, right? And this is the reason he was left in Crete. There was a congregation in the city, and Titus had the pastoral vocation to be their leader, you know? And also, he had to take care of ungodly stuff that was going on. See, here's the thing. The citizens of Crete were lazy, and they were liars. They were lazy liars. And I'm not trying to be mean. That's what the Scripture is going to say. We'll see that this morning. But the job for Titus was not easy. Right and every you ever try like to motivate someone that had the propensity to be lazy constantly? It's not easy. Like get up, come on, you know. It's like no. Many years ago, when I was a manager, a few different places before I was a pastor, I had to write people up. I had to cut their hours. I had to fire them because I was mean. No, because they were lazy. Because they didn't want to work. Uh, they were late to work and they were often lazy. And so, if someone gets mad and because you want them to work. Uh, because they're getting paid to do what they're supposed to be doing, it's, it's probably not going to work out. And, and I'm thankful. I think back, like I'm thankful to my dad. He was a very hard worker. He taught me that working hard was an important action to take. You know, when I was 16 years old, he was a, a vice president at a bank, and he, uh, he had a, a friend who was a district manager at Taco Bell, and he was like, come on, we're going to go. You have an interview. I'm like, what? He's like, you're getting a job. You know, I was 16, so we went, and of course I got the job because he was a customer of my dad's. <laughs> but... Uh, but I got a job at an early age because he's like, you're going to work. You're going to work hard. And he taught me that. And so, but anyway, thinking back to when I was a manager, I took action to reprimand. Before I took action to reprimand anyone, I would try, I tried to motivate them and warn them and help them. I gave them a chance to show that they actually, that they wanted to work, that they had some kind of initiative. And many times it didn't work out. They just wanted to do the minimum. You know, and maybe you've been a manager, maybe you've been at a job where it's kind of like you know someone and, and they're like, when the boss is there, they're like running around, they're like doing everything, right? And then when the boss leaves, they're like, oh, thank God. And you know, and then they're just like, no, 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 no. And the boss comes back, oh, you know, let me get busy here. But here's the thing, we're not called to do the minimum, right? Titus wasn't called to do the minimum. Uh, he was called to minister in a big way. But the Cretans, <laughs> the, those in Crete, they were lazy. They had one speed, slow, right? One speed, slow. So Titus had a tough job in front of him with these uh, Christians in Crete. And the original Greek here is the same when Paul wrote to Timothy. The original language, there's this notion that Titus was to temporarily stay in Crete to fix the issues, and then catch up with Paul later. Paul's like, you know what, stay here for a while until things are in order, and then I'll see you in a, in a little while. Like, you'll be there for a bit, set things in order, and then you're all good to go. Raise people up, raise up leaders, and then continue on. So Paul had charged Titus to set things in order. But you think about it, doesn't God set things in order in the local church? Yes, he does, right? But he uses his children to implement the order right? The God of heaven uses those on earth who believe in him to accomplish his will. That's pretty amazing. So Paul writes, set things in order, which was actually a medical uh, like phrase, which meant to set a crooked limb. It's like, so Titus wasn't like a dictator of the church. He was the pastor who was to be a representative of Christ with authority to do the work. You guys know, some of you have broken your bones, right? When a bone breaks, you got to set it right, put a cast on it so it heals correctly, so you can use it again like it should be used. I remember Lily, our youngest, fell off a bike a couple years back, and she cried at the time, but then she's like, yeah, I'm all good. And we thought she was all good, never had any complaints, never had any pain the whole week long, right? And, but literally, like a week later, we were sitting on the couch, and I accidentally bumped her, and she's like, ow! Like, what? what? Are you Okay. 
And so we took her to the doctor. We had no clue because, you know, she fell off the bike and she was fine after that, she said. Took her to the bike, and, and he was just like, yeah, it's broken. <laughs> we're like, it's been broken for a week. They're like, I'm so glad. And Brianna and I were shocked. We're like, but she had no problems after she got up from the bike and everything was fine. Until that one time I barely nudged her arm. And so it was broken for a week, but the doctor said, thankfully, they didn't have to like re-break it or anything, but it would have been bad if it had not been set in a cast. And, and it was okay after that, and it was set and healed. Well, for the local church, things must be set in order so as to function how God wants it to function. So the church needed order and leadership, and Titus was to set things in order in the local church by establishing godly leadership. Right? Specifically, Titus was to set things in order that were lacking, it says. And what was lacking here was sound doctrine. One aspect of church that should never lack is sound doctrine, right theology, solid hermeneutics, which basically means teach what is contained in the text. You know, not outside sources that are influenced by flawed unbiblical views. Teach what's in the text. The teaching of God's word should never be a suggested practice in church. It should be the main thing, right? There were, I remember one time I went to this one church family members took me to, and I had a Bible. Like, of course, we're going to church. Of course, I'm, you know, I have a Bible. And so whether it's here or your app, you've got a Bible, right? And so I went in with my Bible. And I was like looking around, and I felt, I felt odd, odd. I was like the odd one out because I was like, Where's everyone's Bible? Maybe they hand them out before service, but I was the only one. And of course, they never needed a Bible because they didn't teach the Bible. I don't even know. It was like a nice little lecture, like you would get at school or something. I'm like, what is this? And so the family was like, how, how was that? I was like, I let Brianne talk. I don't know. I didn't want to answer. I was like, I was bad. <laughs> I don't know what that was, but it wasn't church. Um, but the, the thing is, the teaching of God's word should never be a suggested practice. This is the main thing, right? The, the word of God. And there were many more off-point actions that needed to be set in order for Titus and Crete than for Timothy and Ephesus. And in a sense, it may have been a bit more difficult for Titus, at least externally. Timothy had external things, but he also had personal medical issues, you know, his stomach problems. He had timidity and fear to deal with as well. He had his own stuff, you know. Things were a mess in Crete, though, as well, but Titus was there to help. He wasn't timid like Timothy. He didn't have medical issues of his own. He was just, he was bold in that sense. He, he didn't need to be encouraged to be like, don't fear, you know, power, love, and sound mind. Timothy did. Titus didn't. But he needed wisdom to raise up leaders. And aren't you glad you're not doing this life on your own? God is with us always. Like, Wherever we go, whatever we do, God's already gone before, he's going before you to set things Set things uh, to get things ready for your next season, the next thing he wants you to do. And right now he's preparing you to get there, right? He's not just going to be like fast track you. You know, like you go to a theme park, fast track is great. You want to get the fast track because you don't want to wait in lines, right? You like the fast track, just bye. Everyone looks at you like angrily, like what do they think they're doing? You know, and you're just like, got a fast track. Well, in the Christian life, oftentimes it's not a fast track. It takes time. And as we're waiting, of course, God is working. God is with you, though. What a comfort to know whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, wherever you're at in this life, life right now, God is with you. And also, we have a church body to connect with so as to gain encouragement and clarity. Really, having a church body helps you to get that outside perspective that sometimes you don't see when you're just all in your mind. Right? So elders. Elders are mentioned in the book of Titus, but not deacons. And a deacon is one that has a servant's heart. An elder is more like of a leadership role with authority in the church granted by God. So it was a job of Titus to look 
for these elders and appoint them to lead. And Paul gave Titus a lot of authority, and the authority didn't go to a committee pan panel, you know. It went to Titus, and Titus was to have authority and to use it in a godly way. It wasn't just like, yeah, I don't know you that much about you, but go ahead and lead. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't do that at a job or else you'd be in trouble. It would probably go, everything would go under. It would be bad. But Titus was to have authority but use it in a godly way. He wasn't given authority to abuse it or to make a name for himself. Like he was given authority to be responsible for this body of believers being in unity and being able to work together, to be founded upon the truth, to connect and unify to further God's kingdom. So to assemble together and to sharpen one another, to be spiritually healthy. That's why we assemble together. Don't forsake the assembly, assembling of ourselves together, right? It's actually a sin to be outside of fellowship. Excuses only can last so long. Pretty soon, months go by, and it's like, it's not an excuse anymore. You're out of fellowship with the body, and you're struggling, and you're in your mind, and you're not getting an outside godly perspective. So we see the greeting from last week. This morning, we see the challenge, right? The challenge. Number three, we see the order in verse 6 to 9, the order. Paul continues on. He writes to Titus. He says, if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless, a steward of God, excuse me, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So the order, this is what Titus was to look for in leaders, essentially. Now, we've already gone over qualifications from 1 Timothy chapter 3, but what's amazing is that whether we're talking about a leader in Ephesus or like Timothy or a leader like Titus in Crete, the qualifications, same qualifications apply. God, expect, his expectations don't change. He's not like, this is, for, you know, this is for you, but you don't have to obey that one. You, know, you can obey that, but you don't have to obey these three because, you know what, I, I give you a wink. You know, it's all good. No. Listed in these and the rest of the verses we're going to look at, there's 16 qualities of an elder in three different areas, family life, personal life, and doctrinal belief. And what we see and, and what we should have, should have been clear is a stark contrast between the behavior of the church elder and the, be, the base behavior of the false teacher. Right? When the unbelieving world looks the same as the church, issues are going to arise. Holy means what? Set apart, right? It means set apart, and this is what the church should be. You know, the church should not look worldly or, or carnal or merit-based, you know, I like what one of my pastor's friends says. He's got a, a church at Calvary Chapel in Georgia, and he's like, this is a grace place. I love when he says that. He's like, this is a grace place where the broken can come in and get healed and get saved, and God can pour into them and help them. This isn't a place where you come and be like, let me let's see who I can judge next, you know. No, this is a grace place. Church should be set apart, though, focusing on the spiritual, doctrinally on point and grace based. Now, there are a few qualifications that were actually added to this list given to Titus that are not in First and Second Timothy, so let's just look at these briefly. Number one is having faithful children. Faithful means believing. So an elder or a, a leader, leader's children should believe as well. And here's the idea. The idea is that if a leader of the church can't win over his own kids, how will he have an eternal impact within the church? 
right? Christian service begins at home. Church planning starts at home, right? And also, he needs to be a steward of God. A steward is basically one who doesn't necessarily own anything, but they're in charge and manage their boss's stuff, right? God is the boss, right? The one in church, the leader, the guy, the sovereign king. And a steward, us, you know, servants of the Lord must be faithful. But remember, all Christians must be faithful stewards, not just leaders in the church. Every person who professes to believe and walk with Christ must be faithful. Faithful means loyal. It means steadfast, true to the facts. Faithful means living out your faith, not just believing from afar. And also, a leader can't be, shouldn't be, self-willed. Self-willed means a person who really just wants to do their own thing, their own way, right? No one in America is like that, right? Wanting to do their own thing, their own way, right? No, that characterizes America, right? But, okay, being self-willed, though, is seen as a good thing in our society, like do your own thing, make your own way, follow your own heart, do what you want, it doesn't matter. It totally leaves God out of the equation of your life. But when a person is saved and starts actually living for Jesus actively, Guess what the first thing to go is? Your way. Your way. Your way goes out the window because there's a better way. Our way as people without God, it's not the right way. Right? The better way is God's way. And so um, the, the sooner we learn that, the, the quicker we're going to be on the road to God's will instead of this alternate path that, that sees God as a cold, impersonal God rather than a loving, intimate God who actually cares about what you're going through and what you're facing and what your future is. A leader should not be quick-tempered. Like, there is such thing as righteous anger against sin, right? We know that, Jesus turning over some tables and stuff, but this is not that. Being quick-tempered means getting angry toward people. Now, one person said, temper is such a wonderful thing. It's a shame to lose it, right? Some people who pride themselves on like not being emotional, are still emotional because anger isn't emotion. They, I never cried during movies and they brag about it, you know. But they'll get angry, man. <laughs> they'll get angry and they'll go off, right? Ephesians says, be angry but do not what? Right, be angry but do not sin. So we have that emotion, but what do we do when we get it, when it arises, right? When things boil up, you know? People, people deal with things different ways. Some people want to... I, I, I learn about this all the time, or I hear about this all the time in marriage counseling, premarital counseling. Uh, oftentimes, someone wants to talk right away. They're like, let's talk about this right now. The other one's so angry, they're like, I don't want to talk about it right now because I don't know what I'm going to say, right? So give me like 20 minutes to calm down because I don't want to say something stupid out of anger, and let's come back together, right? And so we get these emotions, but what are we going to do with them? Are we going to let them lead to sin, attitudes, different things like that, or are we going to actually repent before it gets out of hand? Because... The, the point is, like, everyone's tempted. You can pray against temptation all day long, but guess what? You're going to go out these doors, and you're going to get tempted a bunch of times. Like, temptation is there. What we need to pray against is not letting that temptation lead to actual sin. And so going to the Lord is the best thing to do. Like, when you get angry, when you get these emotions that you know it's like, this could be bad. <laughs> let me go to the Lord. But someone who is an elder should not let their temper lead to sin. And also a leader, an elder, a, needs to be a lover of what is good. A truly godly like, like man, like person, will be one who surrounds themselves with good and godly things. I was a youth pastor for so many years, and 
almost every time that I talk to the youth, and they're like, man, I just can't, I, I just, I, I can't fall, I keep falling, I keep messing up. And one of the first questions I ask for the youth, you know, and I guess it could be for adults as well, is I used to be like, well, who are you hanging out with? You know, who are the few friends that you just, you always, and they tell me, and I'm like, that's why. <laughs> you know, you're not, you might not, be, you're outnumbered, basically. You're, you're hanging out with all these unbelievers doing all these ungodly things, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be lured in and lured away from the Lord into the world. And so, the, I think this is a good question to ask ourselves, like as believers, often, often, like what are you consumed with? Like, what, Lord, what am I consumed with right now? Like, what do I think about the most? Do I think about you? Do I think about the truth? Do I think about how good you are and how this lost world needs to be saved? What am I consumed with? What am I thinking about? If the answer is not the gospel or Jesus or spiritual things, it's time to reprioritize. You know, being at that young adult thing, uh, the 10th Hour Project, if you ever online and want to check it out, the 10th Hour Project in New Mexico, it's so awesome. This guy bought a bed and breakfast, like 10 acres or I don't know how many, a lot of acres. And so there's, he, he brings students in for eight months. Again, they just pour into them, disciple them, talk about technology and the Bible and just all these different things, man. It was just awesome to see these kids. And and I'm like, man, this is, this is awesome because a lot of the guys, we split up, right? And I was like, uh, I had my wife pray for the girls, I prayed for the guys, and, and they just wanted to know their calling. Is it on the mission field? Is it, where is it? What, what does God want them to do? But they had just had a heart and a fire just to follow the Lord, to be about the gospel. That's all. I mean, even my girls were hanging out with them one night. It wasn't even class or anything. There was like five of the young adults just hanging out and, and just reading scripture and talking about it. And my, I love my two girls. My daughter is like just hanging out with them and listening to all this. I'm like, look, there's some young adults that love Jesus more than this world. And I'm like, look, they're living for what matters. They're here to get trained up and sent out because they just want to be used by the Lord no matter where God sends them. Whew. It was just powerful, seriously. Um, and a leader, an elder must be just, which means a man with integrity, practicing what is right. An elder must do what is right. Like, how do we know what is right? Well, what is of God is right, you know? Holy, they need to be holy, which means different, set apart, living for eternal things. They need to be self-controlled, disciplined, not swayed by every worldly and carnal thing out there. Holding fast to the faithful words, basically sticking to the solid, literal word of God rather than the feel-good messages. Hold fast to the truth and not wavering. And in verse 9, the first part of it, we see what leaders in the church are supposed to do. Hold fast the faithful word as he has been taught. And in the second part of verse 9, we see that Titus should appoint leaders who will also use the word properly, Right? Instead of bashing people with it, use it properly depending upon who you're talking about. You know, we all have, there's no cookie cutter way. You know, I don't like when people are like, yo, I have a program or methods and it's this way or uh, this is the right way, number one. And they just pound people with the word like, going to hell, going to Some people are already convicted. They already know that. Yeah. You're not telling them anything new. They already feel convicted like God doesn't love them. You think that method's going to work? Heck no, it's not going to work. And there's, a, there's other people that think they're you know, totally good. They need to see and know that they're actually a sinner. Oh, no, no, I'm way more good than bad. Heaven awaits. Like, I'm all good. I'm going to live like I want. Like, they need it more directly, you know? It depends on who you're talking to. That's the whole thing about when you build a bridge of relationship, that's when you can relay the message, and that's when God will show you this is how I need to relay the truth. 
It's the same truth. There are, there are not many truths. There's one truth. But what there are, there's many methods. There's many methods to share. And so it says that he may be able to both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So this means a leader in the church should call other believers to action, teach the word, and correct off doctrine. Right? There's a right way and a wrong way to live. The right way to live is explained in the Bible, not in extra-biblical books that, of an author that you think is great. Right? God is the author of truth. Right? I, I, I write devotionals, and I love writing it. I use it more of like an outreach and stuff like that. But I, I don't want anyone reading that instead of the Bible. If you only have time to read one through, please don't read my devotional. Read the Bible. <laughs> read the Bible first. If you have extra time, cool, you can look at what... But get into the Word first. God is the author of truth. The Bible is our manual for living, not man-authored books. And as he says, by sound doctrine. So again, sound doctrine means the Word of God, right? Observed, interpreted literally, and applied to life rightly. So we see the greetings, we see the challenge, we see the order, and lastly, we see the leaders. Verse 10 to 16 Paul continues, he says, For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not, for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. So here we learn why it is important for Titus to appoint like qualified leaders. And as we know from going through 1 and 2 Timothy, when truth is spread and changes lives, there is the enemy and false teachers ready to fight against it. How many of you know when you're about to do a work for God, everything goes wrong? <laughs> everything goes wrong. Every, all of a sudden, there are all these little problems, and it's like, what is going on? Oh, yeah, spiritual, spiritual battle. I need to fight against this by praying, seeking the Lord, and not letting these distractions, you know, stop me. <laughs> this is a first world problem, but when we came home, like from New Mexico, uh, our air conditioning just stopped, <laughs> and we're like, Lord, <laughs> we just, we were on, we were spiritually high, and all of a sudden the air conditioning stopped, I'm like, what's going on? But praise the Lord for the body of Christ. The people, you guys let us borrow fans, and so we were okay last night, you know? But it's like, how many of you know, it's like, that's how it is with the Lord. You're about to step out and do something awesome for God, right? And then all of a sudden, it just seems like roadblock, 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 and it's the enemy just trying to stop you, because guess what? He doesn't want you to be used by the Lord in a radical way. So he'll do everything he can to distract you, whether external, externally or in your mind. And so... And so Paul really gave, he gave three realities about these false teachers who were trying to distract and take people away from the truth for Titus to spot them. Like, Titus, uh, think about these things, okay? Who they were. Think about who they were. Let's just say that Paul did not have anything good to say about these uh, non-submitters to God's word. He, he's, always, he's always pretty upfront speaking of false teachers. He always speaks. If you look through all of his letters, it's like, man, he did not like false teachers. He, it's not like he didn't like them. He just didn't like what they were teaching. They were teaching crazy, unbiblical, weird stuff. 
And here's what we must be careful of. We must be careful, uh, careful of those who, who have a problem putting themselves under the clear authority of God's word. Yeah, the Bible says that, but here's really what it, like they have their own interpretation, right? We must be careful of those. When a person can't follow generally, they will have a hard time following specifically. And if they can't keep a job because they don't like people telling them what to do, they will get fired. That's what's going to happen, right? And if they're attempting to follow the Lord but want to do things their own way, they will make up their own rules, their own ways apart from God. It's like we don't just make up a huge you know, five-point plan and they say, okay, now God bless my plan. But instead be like, Lord, what do these points look like? <laughs> what is the plan? And then he will give you those as you live life for him. And so this is what the deceiving teachers did. They, they were unruly. They were rebellious, right? They didn't care about the truth. They just wanted to get followers. They wanted to extort people, embezzle. They, just, they were vain talkers. Vain talker means they, they sounded good. I mean, they sounded good. They looked good. They spoke well. They talked clearly, right? They were amazing orators. They drew people in, kind of like today. They could teach clearly, but the content, if you listen to the content and pay attention, it was way off. It was way off. There's a kernel of truth, but the rest of the popcorn is just like, is rotten, right? They sounded good, but their teaching was skewed. It was empty. You ever meet someone who sounded amazing talking? They were just a good talker. That just kind of like drew you in, you know? Or maybe it's an actor when you're watching a movie, and it's like they're, they're talking, and, they're talk, and it's like, wow. And you're just kind of amazed, but you're like, but I have no clue what you're saying. But they're such a good orator. It's like, I remember a guy, it's kind of sad, but he was, he was an amazing uh, prayer. I don't think that's a word, but he prayed just like, he was passionate, right? He used big words that I didn't even understand. It was just like, wow, this should be written down, you know? But he would come to the prayer meetings, and they would go out and live like a crazy, total heathen, doing all kinds of bad stuff. But then he would come back, and he would sound so good. But, it, but his heart was so far from God. These false teachers, they were carnal, they were, um, they were liars, and, and the... And the People in Crete, they were lazy. There's a lot to, that Titus had to deal with. One commentator said about these false teachers here in Crete that they were celebrities, but they weren't servants, right? People knew about them, but they weren't serving the Lord. It was all personal gain. They were well-known. They were populated. They looked spiritual. They sounded, you know, but they were totally worldly. Paul really gives a one-word description of this, these false teachers in verse 16, that really captures it. He said, abominable, right? Which means they were detestable. The action they did, these guys were disobedient and reprobate. Reprobate means they were disqualified. They actually led whole families astray by teaching Jewish legalism. You know, one theologian said, when the plain sense of the scripture makes good sense, seek no other sense. Right? When the plain sense of the scripture makes good sense, seek no other sense. A lot of, especially, um, especially in the New Testament, a lot of these letters are very straightforward. They're, they're literal. They're very easy to actually understand. The problem occurs when a person digs in the wrong places. It's like when I was watching this movie when I was a kid, they, they buried a jar. I think it was Stand By Me. I don't know. Um, I, I, they buried a jar of like coins or whatever, but he couldn't remember where he buried it, right? He wanted to get the money. He's like, he had all, there was all these holes all over the land. He's like, where is it? Where is it? He couldn't find the, where in the heck he buried it. They dug and dug. They could not find that jar of money. See, we study and we dig into the literal meaning of Scripture. And here, people get in trouble when they dig where the Scripture does not require digging 
because the jar of treasure is clearly marked on the map. So if you dig in any other place, you'll find nothing, and it will be empty. The word of God is clear, and the more we dig, the more treasure we're going to find. It's like, why did these false teachers lead people astray? Well, the main motive was in verse 11. Teaching things that ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. Money. Stuff to be added to, to them. Stuff that they wanted. Not like today, right? Not like today at all. Yeah, it's just like today. Still, people use religion and church, the Bible, and even the name of Jesus to extort money from the people. And that's never good. They greedily, they're using their belief system to embezzle money from people. And that's their motive. False teachers don't care about true converts. You know, they care about gaining for themselves. A minister of God does not do it for material gain. They do it to help others grow in the faith. See, these guys had minds that were defiled, verse 15. Verse 15 is often used by believers to justify actual ungodly actions, but it has to do with Jewish dietary foods and the laws placed concerning them. And what Paul is saying is that those who have pure minds, when it comes to food, that food is clean and it's permissible to eat. Paul made sure, though, to make clear what Titus was to do or take action in. Exhort and, con and convince with sound doctrine, verse 9. The only way to get the mind straight that has been twisted by off doctrine is to use sound doctrine, right? When we get confused, you know, people get confused about spiritual things. Oftentimes, the Bible's closed. We've got, we've got to open it so we can dig in it and so we can get our minds straight. Two, rebuke them sharply. Titus, you've got to rebuke some people here. Be straight up. Call out the lies. Don't be like, okay, I'm going to be tolerant of that lie. It's okay. No biggie that there's all this false stuff going out in the church. No, confront it. You confront it. And at my last church, I was the confronter. I didn't ask for it. I was like, can I confront people and call out their sin? Like, that's what I did. One of the things I did at my last church. And uh, thank, thank, thank you, Lord, I'd never got beat up. But there was one time I thought, this guy's probably going to like <laughs> knock me out here. Like in the prayer room, I was confronting him and he was getting mad. His face was turning red. You know, he's a big guy with tattoos. And I was like, I'm done, man. But, but after he went off on Calvary Chapel and how he hated it so much, then him and his family left. So um, I didn't have any bruises. It was sad. I felt bad for his family, though. I was like, oh, man. But we got to confront. We got to call out these false things. Now, it's not, I, don't, I don't believe it's anyone's mission to be like my whole life. I'm going to just call out everyone. I'm a sin sniffer. What did you say? What did you, you know, we're not, that's not saying that. But if it's like a big thing where the person is deceived, and you have the truth, and they're like, they think it's true. They think something off is true. It's good to lovingly be like, hey, let me, let's talk about this. You know, let's open the word. Instead of our opinions, let's, like, let's open the word and talk about this. And other times, you have to be straight up, right? It depends. Again, it depends on the recipient. Everyone's different. God's created us all differently, which is a good thing. Some of you are like, praise the Lord, right? But no, but we're all different. That's a good thing. We're unique in the eye. I have God. So, number three, good teachers, or get teachers sound in the faith. Verse 13. False doctrine, it's like poison, right? It creeps in quietly and then spreads quickly. It needs to be confronted and dealt with up front. Titus had to confront these things. You know, what a person believes is the difference between eternal life and eternal death. John 8, 32, Jesus put it clearly and succinctly, right? And you shall know the truth, and the truth will what? Yeah, set you free. You guys know. The problem is people are being led and looking in all the wrong places for truth. And I'll end with this. One time I was, uh, I took my girls to Mod Pizza, right? 
We went, got our, their pepperoni pizza, we were done, and then it was pouring rain. Of course, it was right at the time we had to leave, right? It was pouring rain, we were going to go to Books A Million, and uh, that's, that's like our routine. We like to get pizza and then go look at books. And, and so uh, I was like, man, it's pouring, girls, stay under the overhang. Okay, I'm going to go get the car. And, uh, and so I wasn't going to wait. I didn't know how long the rain was going. We had limited time. They had to get to bed, right? So... They stayed under the overhang, and I ran out there and just pouring. In an instant, I was just soaking wet. It was, it was bad. And, and I was like, where is the car? And I was like looking everywhere, and I could, it wasn't there. I Seriously, I was like, oh, my gosh, someone stole our car. And, and I really thought someone stole it. So I ran back in just dripping wet. And I was like, girls, I think someone stole our car. I, I, don't, I mean, they're like, daddy, you drove mom's car. <laughs> I was like, they're like, it's right there. I was like... Yes, that was, I felt really stupid, and I'm sharing this with everyone. So, um, but man, I was like, oh my goodness. And so I went out, and I got the car, and, but I, was, I went at that, out there in the rain, and it was pouring, and, and I, was, I was looking for the wrong thing. I was looking for the wrong thing, and I got soaked, and I was miserable, and then even on the way home, there was a detour, so it took, and I was freezing, shaking wet, and I was like, man... But that's the thing with the truth. The truth is going to set you free, but a lot of the times, people are looking in the wrong places right? And maybe it was, maybe that was you before you came to believe you were looking all over for fulfillment. There, you knew there was a void in your heart because you felt it. You knew there was a purpose that you had, but you didn't know what it was. But when you open the word, when you seek the Lord, you're looking in the right place, right? And, and we have the awesome responsibility to point people to the X on the map that will lead them to the right truth, the one truth, instead of standing outside in the storm looking at the, in the wrong places. Because we are walking in truth. When we're walking in truth, we get the, other, we get the truth out to others, right? Because they're desperately, I, I feel like I picture that, like they're out in the rain looking around like, where is it? Where is it? What, what, what is this about? Why is, there so, why is there so much this in the world or that in the world? Why do, what, what is the purpose? Why am I even here? They look around in the rain, stranded. And it's like, like my kids, they can be like, no, here's the truth. It's right here. It's right here. We just got to get into it and let the truth get into our hearts. And it's like, this is it. This is all the answers. This isn't a book full of philosophical questions, right? This is a book full of answers. And we get to dig in and get to know it and get to know him. But we also get to get this word out into the community. And that's one thing that really did convict me, being at that young adult thing. These guys go out to evangelize. Someone got saved last, uh, this last Saturday, yesterday. They all went out in a group and, and evangelized, and someone named Brianne got saved. And so they texted, like, hey, someone with your name, Brianne got saved. And so it was just awesome because that day she, she, that, that girl found hope, and it was like because someone had to relay it. They couldn't just be like, oh, hopefully they'll see how nice I am, and they'll just believe in the gospel. They can be like, wow, they're such a nice person, but they don't, if they don't know the truth, if we don't talk it out, if we don't tell someone, then they're not just, just going to guess, you know? And so we have that awesome responsibility. But Paul is telling Titus, encouraging Titus, like, get some leaders. He challenges him. And we need to be challenged, I think, because sometimes we can get in this routine, this repetitive routine where it's just like, we're just living life. We're, we're just passive. And as believers, we're called to be active, right? We're called to get out there and, and yes, be filled, but also, you know, uh, be a, uh, let the truth flow through us to others, right? And I was even talking to, talking to the group, and I was like, you know what, sometimes there are people in your lives where it's like, they're not receiving from me. And there, there are times where you're like, Lord, send someone else in their life. They just don't want to hear it from me anymore, and, but you can send someone else that connect with them, and that they can get saved, but, but really, we just, 
we got to be out there, you know? we got to be out there and sharing the truth because people need the truth because people have no hope and no help, and they're out there stranded in the rain, and, hey, we got shelter. we got shelter right here, you know? 